the show that doesn't grab them by the but does occasionally kick them in the ball. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way from the lovely city of Pukalani here on the beautiful Isle of Maui where, yep, we're batting down the hatches and waiting for our very own hurricane. It may or may not get us. The East Coast, though, is bracing for Florence. We'll talk a little bit about what that could mean for old Hurricane Alley and a lot more as we cover some tumultuous stories uh, before we get into all of that. Hi, welcome to my show. I'm Shaggy Jenkins, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal insane and always found online at shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served. Uh, you can always find me at Shaggy Live. Let's dive into some of our stories of the day, shall we? Because here's the thing. I, I've i been following this over the weekend as much as we are uh, down here in Maui trying to get ready to, uh, like I said, maybe or maybe not go through a hurricane. We don't know. It's kind of up in the air. Somebody that is definitely facing stormy weather right now is Ted Cruz. Of all people, Ted Cruz seems to be in a vulnerable Senate seat. Now, you're probably asking yourself, how did the darling of the GOP find himself in this situation? Let's not forget, Ted Cruz has also been so popular that he's actually made a bid at president a couple of times. The only thing about it is, is that if you look in further to the mystique of Ted Cruz and uh, what some of his people uh, in his district see as a daily kind of operational, this is our guy, we kind of have to pay attention to him sort of way, Ted Cruz has a problem that a lot of GOP insiders have started to identify. And brace yourselves, they found out that Ted Cruz is not likable. I'm not making that up. Ted Cruz is essentially unlikable. And that's why the GOP is having such a hard time right now with knowing what to do with him. Now, in cycles past, Ted Cruz has found himself in a very comfortable position where he is in a very deeply conservative district in a very deeply conservative state. I mean, come on, it's Texas, right? But here's the thing. The more that Ted Cruz has kind of dug into the GOP side, especially as of the last election, and this seems to be a sticking point. Now, when people talk about the unpopularity of Ted Cruz, one of the things that they're bringing up is President Donald Trump. Now, you've probably heard the news lately that Donald Trump has planned an October rally to kind of drum up support by behind Ted Cruz. There's a problem with that. You you see, not too long ago, Ted Cruz was in the GOP contenders in the 2016 presidential election. And that's when a very interesting thing kind of happened. Donald Trump happened. And during the campaign, Donald Trump alluded to everything from... Ted Cruz being somehow the son of Sam, I think, was something. Uh, I know there was also allegations that uh, uh, Ted Cruz's father had something to do with the JFK assassination, and there was a whole lot of crazy hoopla. But Trump, when it came to Ted Cruz, went hard. 
And we're, we're not talking like normal, everyday kind of hard. We're talking like he went, uh, ironically, WWE wrestler kind of hard. Um, you've seen the GIFs. The GIFs. It's GIFs, actually. I, I should always pronounce that properly. Uh, but getting back to the whole point of this, Ted Cruz, during the 2016 election, kind of took some flack from his home district because he didn't present enough of a challenge to Donald Trump. And some people kind of resented that. I mean, you remember during the 2016 election, it was, it was, a, it was a long time ago. We were a different, different country back then. But uh, during that election, GOP kept pinning some of their hopes and dreams on, um, <clears throat> well, they kept pinning their hopes and aspirations on Things like uh, Marco Rubio maybe coming out of the blue and knocking Trump's wave out of the way. Uh, there was there was all the talk and excitement around Jeb Bush. Everybody, Jeb Bush. Uh, yeah, there was a uh, there was also a lot of people that kind of pinned their hopes on. And I mean, let's follow his track record. He is deep into the Second Amendment so much so that I mean, most of his. <sighs> political ads have featured at some time him at least shooting or holding a firearm. But Ted Cruz is a very deeply conservative, very pro-life, you know, kind of Bible Belt-ish, hardcore GOP. Now, when he was kind of one of the last guys standing up against Trump before Trump became the presidential candidate, a lot of people pinned their hopes on him being able to unseat this whole Trump wave of, of, of kind of being able to pull back the party, you know, uh, bring it back more towards the centrist GOP that could possibly win an election. Oh, if we only know now, I mean, only know then what we know now, right? All right, well, getting back into the whole point of this, look, Donald Trump ridiculed relentlessly Ted Cruz until finally it was his time to bow out of the candidacy and here is where the backlash comes in. You see Ted Cruz didn't present enough of a challenge in the conservative uh, I guess you could say the more deeply normalized GOP at that time. I, I don't know who they are now but back then they were still kind of a party only flirting with white supremacy and child sexual predatory behavior as, as platforms. I, like I said, we were a different country back then. Uh, moving on, though. Um, Ted Cruz, in the aftermath of bowing out of the candidacy for the GOP seat for president, or at least, you know, a swing at the, the old office there, the elections, people kind of felt, how do I say this, a little off-put by the fact that Ted Cruz wasn't more, um, I don't want to say petty, but a little bit more vocal in his rebuking of some of the things that, that came from Donald Trump. Now, of course, everybody remembers the what, what I like to call the great famous GOP backpedaling of the Billy Bush interview. Uh, Billy Bush had a kind of off-camera mic talk up with the president where the president talked about grabbing women's genitalia and how celebrityism allows you to do uh, tremendously horrible things. Yeah. Well, in the aftermath of that, of course, 
Who are they going to go to for one of those opinions? Why, it is the goodly Ted Cruz. And his reaction was kind of, well, you know, I I don't I don't agree with it, but you know, I, I I'm a father and I'm a and and it went right into the whole backpedaling. Now, not only did Ted Cruz engage in this speech, of course, Paul Ryan and damn near every GOP congressional member that was put up in front of camera when these comments came out from then candidate uh, Donald Trump. Everybody thought this was going to be the thing to torpedo him, and it wasn't. And some of that blame could possibly be on the shoulders uh, of Teddy Cruz there. You see, Ted Cruz kind of took his amazing unlikability from two different runs of the presidency and and parlayed that into an amazing unlikability as, as a member of Congress because some people really felt that he did not retaliate hard enough. They get this, Ted Cruz kind of shoulders a little bit of the blame for the GOP moving to this far, far right ideology that they're in now. And that is amazing when you grasp about it, because here's the thing about Ted Cruz's likability. If you remove just that scenario, it still doesn't exist. Ted Cruz is highly, highly, highly unlikable. And, 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 it shows in poll after poll after poll, running against Beto O'Rourke, the numbers seem to be getting slimmer and slimmer. And this is the thing. Okay, I know everybody is all excited about this big blue wave that's supposed to be coming up in the midterm elections. And I have seen numbers estimating, you know, God, plus plus uh, 8.4 advantage Democrats and and uh, loss of, of the House and all this other stuff. And, and while those polls and predictions are all well and good, let us remember the last election, and even on this program, where we talked about polls and they turned out to be horribly misleading. But here's the thing. In survey after survey, and of course... A couple of those polls that I still don't trust, but, I mean, you gotta look at them. Ted Cruz is losing ground to a Democrat in a deeply conservative, long-held Republican territory in a very, very conservative state. Now, looking at that as kind of a litmus test for everything else that's going on, Oh, boy, are we going to be in trouble. Well, not we, but if you're a member of the GOP, you're looking at this race as, wow. Because Ted Cruz has typically always been considered safe. Ah, yes, loyal and honest, steadfast Ted Cruz. He'll, he'll die in office one day, that Ted Cruz. Turns out that those predictions might be a little bit misleading. Now, the thing is, is when you look at kind of what is happening in the GOP, uh, Ted Cruz's unpopularity kind of seems to be showing this national trend. Now, here's the thing that Ted Cruz might have going for him, okay? Brace yourselves. It's Donald Trump. <laughs> 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, God, Shaggy, please, please let us watch with glee at the train wreck that will be Donald Trump and Ted Cruz's political rally. Please, please let us witness that. And I am going to tell you, as much as it is to cheer a train wreck, you shouldn't cheer this one because, one, it's going to be very awkward, and two, According to all the GOP insiders that, that, that are actually worried about the midterm results, one of the big things that you have to think about is the Trump factor. Yeah, it turns out Donald Trump is, get this, <clears throat> highly effective at rallying up his base and getting them to vote for people. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well... God, Shaggy, that's that's horribly depressing. It is, but look at the rallies. Every single time Donald Trump has one of these rallies, of course we we make fun of it. Like this this past one where he was trying to talk about the op-ed piece in the the failing New York Times, and and and, and he said there was an anonymous, an anonymous. I don't know what the hell that is, but there is an anonymous in the White House, spineless anonymous writer. Is that something from, I don't know, maybe Alaska? But it, all kind of weird biology aside, Donald Trump is, is very interesting and it's fun to watch his, his, his rallies and stuff, but at the end of the day... Um, do you know what happens at those rallies? Donald Trump enjoys a very, very, very captive audience with his base. And when I say very, 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 I mean that in all senses of the term. Now, of course, during the election that led up to his presidency, we talked a little bit about this show about how data moves online. And you're probably wondering, what the hell does this have to do with anything? But Follow me here. It's all going to make sense in a moment, and it could spell disaster coming up for the G uh, the GOP in the midterms. It could also spell disaster for overconfident Democrats. You'll see in just a sec. But let's go back to a simpler time on this show. Ah, yes, we were in a different administration then. the The, the country still seemed like a country. But during that time, we had talked a little bit about data online. Now, uh, of course, these stories eventually oh, culminated in everything from Russian intelligence gathering to nefarious social media campaigns. But in the early nascent days of the Trump candidacy, we talked about how people view data. And we learned something very interesting in that show. Now, I'm not going to play a clip. Instead, because I still have to know these things, I'm going to recite exactly what happened. You see, they did an analysis of where people get their news from. Now, they broke it down in, of course, Democrat being blue and, and Republicans being red, or conservatives, people that self-identify as conservative being in red. And what they found out was amazing. When it comes to web traffic of certain news sites, of people with a more liberal, progressive kind of mindset do something like verify a story. They'll, they'll read a story from an official kind of place, and then they'll go to another, 
official kind of validated source, and around and around and around they go, usually staying in the confines of mainstream accepted vetted media. Donald Trump's base didn't. And we spent a lot of time talking about how if you look at the 3D map of the internet leading up into the 2016 election, one thing would look very painfully obvious the people with a self-described conservative mindset ended up spending a lot of time on smaller and smaller and smaller areas of the Internet. In other words, their entire news gathering and everything only lived within a very small corner. Now, what does that mean? If, if you're looking at it from raw data, that means that this is a very closed ecosystem. These people have found like-mindedness, and yeah, I, that's that's usually how mental e economies work. Uh, everybody usually kind of separates themselves out into pay grades, as it were. But when it comes to the second part of what we learned, that's the scary part. You see, within that little red sphere, that little very small sphere of the Internet leading up into the 2016 elections was things like InfoWars and Alex Jones and, of course, far, far right people like conservative conspiracy theorist professional Sean Hannity. And, of course, there was many, many others in the ilk, but not that many. And it turns out that people with that kind of conservative mindset only went to these guys. Now, as Donald Trump's popularity grew, of course, in the entertainment, I mean, <clears throat> conservative news media, um, it makes sense to kind of follow the leader, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the guy is basically going to be the candidate. Oh my God, it looks like he's basically going to be the president. I'm going to get on the team and rah, rah, sis, boom, ba, because as an entertainer, I mean journalist, God, I keep forgetting that Alex Jones had a child custody case where he identified himself as a journalist. Oh, no, he identified himself as a fictional character. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but moving on, these people basically followed the Trump narrative because it benefited them. And one part of that Trump narrative... <laughs> Remember Ted Cruz? We were talking about Ted Cruz, weren't we? Part of that narrative was is that Ted Cruz and other people that were in the whole GOP candidacy, the, the, the shotgun blast of some 17 different hopefuls that whittled down to, of all people, Donald Trump. When they talked about Ted Cruz, it was never in likable ways. Donald Trump, the president did not like Ted Cruz on a personal level. Time and time again at his rallies and using his online god mass storm of almost got us into a nuclear war already, Twitter feed. See how easy it is, Donald Trump? You could pronounce words too. Uh, Animush. But uh, <clears throat> the thing is, is that when the media kind of took up to this Ted Cruz is like a villainous kind of narrative. Bada bing, bada boom. It's stuck. Now remember how I said that people in that base usually do not drift outside of their own narrow, tiny little choices to go for news? Yeah, that turns into a very big problem. You see, 
Ted Cruz, because he was called up in all of this hoopla and stuff that the conservative media put him through, which, by the way, isn't it funny when the conservative media actually tears down a conservative? Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, but in all of this tearing down of Ted Cruz to be pro-Trump, they've now made Ted Cruz's usually very secure, what would have been a sure bet a couple of election cycles ago, and even the last election cycle, would have been a sure bet for Ted Cruz, now isn't looking so sure. But the strange thing is, Donald Trump is really highly effective. Remember that whole bubble we were talking about, that tiny red bubble that all those people live in? Well, in that bubble, Donald Trump is highly effective at motivating them to do whatever he says. And, and he's proved it a couple of times. The GOP has embraced Russia is their friend, uh, has actively sought to politicize the intelligence community that has really no business being politicized. And <laughs> let's just go ahead and throw that out there. They're in the process of a filibuster-proof process to put their man, Brett Kavanaugh, in the Supreme Court for a lifetime appointment. With all of these things said and done, Donald Trump, within that tiny little sphere of people, is still highly effective. And a lot of people call him a game changer in the election. So, you gotta ask yourself something. When it comes to the whole story of Ted Cruz's unlikability, and, you know, let's not forget that he's not the only Republican going through this phenomenon right now. DeSantis, from Florida, is actually dropping out of Congress effective immediately so that he can concentrate on his state election where his uh, <clears throat> competitor... A Democrat, black guy, very highly educated, smooth, suave. Yeah, he's catching up in the points. Now, time and time and time again, as you talk about the blue wave, a lot of people have been thinking, oh yes, this only has to do with Congress, but it doesn't. And a lot of people assume that it would only do with seats that were lost during the 2016 cycle. And honestly, if you want to know when things were really lost, you should probably go back in time and look at 2012 cycle as well. Just throwing that out there. Uh, but moving on, here's the thing. Now with all of this stuff on the plate, we have a situation where people that were not in play before, that are usually safe bets for the GOP, are now no longer safe bets. And things like going from a congressional seat to a state government, a la governor of Florida, that's not looking too easy either. But this is the thing. With Donald Trump going to throw his support both behind Ted Cruz and DeSantis down in Florida, <laughs> there's a good chance that he could actually pull their numbers up. And I know what you're thinking, no, <laughs> no, yes. Because time and time and time again, people that have been embattered on the GOP side, once they apply that Trump magic, 
actually find themselves with a nice little boost in the polls. Now, the thing is, is that for Ted Cruz, who is going up against O'Rourke, uh, he's already lost a lot of ground. And because of him not standing up to Donald Trump, a lot of people within his own party find him highly unlikable. Now, will Donald Trump's visit and rally make a difference? Yeah, it, it, it could. And the thing is, is that you've got to remember that for people in the district that Ted Cruz represents, this is a new phenomenon for them. I mean, you've got to think in these terms. You are so concerned about your guy losing his seat. The strong, staunch conservative in that district, they're, they're really worried about, about Ted Cruz losing that seat. Completely forgetting his highly, highly unlikable ways. This election has gotten so topsy-turvy that people don't even know how to feel about Ted Cruz because they're so anxious about losing the seat that Ted Cruz represents. And that means that Ted Cruz, a man that said, well, I'm a never-Trumper and then I'm supporting the president and then, God, I love this guy, he's shaking things up. For Ted Cruz, turncoat Ted here, is basically asking Trump to turn a trick. And the problem is, with him turning that trick, at the end of the day, it could pay off. Now, the polls are close, and Beto O'Rourke is gaining ground. So, could it work? It could. But it also could be too little too late. I mean, you have to remember, two separate polls that came out over the last week show Donald Trump with an approval rating of about 40%. And if you follow anything about midterms elections, once the president's favorability gets to around 40% or below, then you're in real trouble as far as being an incumbent. That's right. If your president's likability drops below 40%, your chances of holding on to your seat as a member of the party that the president is a member of, yeah, things could look pretty bad for you. So how will things look for Cruz in Texas and DeSantis in Florida? Who knows? Because as the Trump effect uh, kind of proven time and time again, it's anybody's game. Look, when we come back, we've got to talk a little bit about a couple of stories. One, uplifting about, oh God, you're going to love this, a homecoming queen and a kicker. And they're the same person. Oh, and we'll cover a little bit more about the cop that entered into the wrong apartment. And yeah, maybe it's time to talk a little bit about Cory Booker. We'll do that in just a sec. It is the Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Sharks aren't typically thought of as vegetarians, or even omnivores. But about 10 years ago, scientists documented a dainty relative of the hammerhead shark, known as a bonnethead shark, 
consuming copious amounts of seagrass. A lot of people kind of just thought that, oh, the sharks were consuming it incidentally while they're going after crabs and squid and other little invertebrates that live in the seagrass meadows. Samantha Lee, a PhD candidate at the University of California, Irvine. So everyone thought they were kind of just passing it through their system and not really getting anything from it. So Lee and her colleagues hauled five of the small sharks back to a Florida lab, and they put them on a three-week diet. 90% seagrass, 10% squid. And they analyzed the digestibility of that diet. Turns out the sharks actually put on pounds and were able to digest the seagrass just about as well as young green sea turtles do. Even though the bonnethead shark has what scientists would deem as a carnivorous gut, they are definitely acting like omnivores. Um, So there's definitely something going on on probably a microbial level that's helping them to break down this seagrass. The full nutrition info is in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B. The study also gives coastal ecosystem managers something new to chew on. These sharks are like lawnmowers, trimming the seagrass, digesting it, and yes, recycling it. So they likely play more of a stabilizing role in food web dynamics. They're not a top apex predator, and they're also probably... Uh, playing a large role in nutrient transport in those seagrass meadow ecosystems as well. As for whether we might convince more sharks to have a little side salad with dinner? Um, I don't know that we'll be able to do that anytime soon. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifico Radio Network, all the way from the city of Pukalani on the 50th State's Valley Isle. That would be the Isle of Maui, where right now, look, I'm not going to lie, we're kind of looking at a hurricane situation here in the next couple of days. But if you know anything about storms here in Maui, they're always hit or miss. Look, to keep track of anything that happens with this show, uh, you can always feel free to follow me on my website, or wherever fine social media serve. The website, of course, shaggyjenkins.com. And yes, the uh, if you want to uh, follow me on social media, at Shaggy Live. Now, before we get into some of our stories of the day, well, at least some of our political stories of the day, can I just butter you up with a nice, sweet story that's possibly the last thing that you would ever expect? Okay, here's the situation. As you know, every single school season, there's something called homecoming. And around the time of homecoming, there's a homecoming court and a king and a queen selected. And then there's a big football game. Well, what if, just what if, you had the chance to be a part of both? Recovery. How about Kaylee Foster, a senior at Ocean Springs High School? She was crowned homecoming queen at halftime last night. That's no big deal, right? Well, a short time later, she also kicked the game-winning extra point to beat George County High School, and that wasn't all Kaylee did in the game. She also kicked a pair of field goals in Ocean Springs' 13-12 win. Homecoming win and game hero. That's awesome. That's a night she'll never forget. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, a lot of people story. won't forget. Now, keep in mind the, the, the implications of that story, fellas, because you too can be homecoming queen and the winning kicker. Now, it, it turns out that the young lady has a very, whew, wow, big history of using her legs in devastating ways when it comes to her soccer, but 
She's been playing with the boys now as a kicker for a while on the football team. And yeah, that's kind of a big deal when you are not only in one single night, the homecoming queen and the kicker responsible for the extra point that put your team over their biggest rivals. So it's no wonder that, you know, the tiny little Mississippi homecoming queen uh, is enjoying a little bit of viral sensation. And and if you need to see a very stupendous picture of the whole event, well, after the big winning kick that she delivered at the end of the game, she took pictures uh, in full football pads and her tiara. World's a great place, isn't it? Now, with that story out of the way, and I've already got you buttered up, let's get into the more bad stuff. Because speaking of football, look, it's coming around again. Now, if you've been following anything about sports, chances are you don't listen to the show a whole lot. In that case, welcome. There is... There is more to life in sports, and we talk about a lot of that on this show. Now, when it comes to these things that we do talk about on the show and the, 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 the whole sports world, one of the stories that we've been following is, of course, President Donald Trump and his whole despisement and, let's just be honest here, complete misunderstanding. Ugh, did I just sound like him? Misunderstanding of a situation. The situation, of course, that got flared up once again and had people last week burning their Nikes is the NFL and their coverage of the national anthem. Okay, not too long ago, a player by the name of Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee in protest of something that he he highly, highly disagreed with, police brutality. And it kind of turned into this whole lightning rod of something that it wasn't about. You see, Donald Trump has been trying time and time and time again to paint this narrative of NFL players trying to point out social inequities as being a part of a protest against, well, veterans, patriotism, the flag, uh, the working... Insert conservative talking point here, and what it really amounts to is it was another distraction ploy. Well, you know that whole old song that Hank Williams Jr. used to sing, Are You Ready for Some Football? Well, the NFL season is fast approaching, uh, and the numbers are already down. Yeah, it turns out that the early season viewing for the NFL is down once again. Now, what is a company to do? Now, remember, Roger Goodell and, of course, a couple of the other uh, team owners came forward not too long ago and said, hey, look, if they don't want to be on the field during the anthem, uh, that's fine. They can stay in the locker room, but they can't be on the field and take a knee. Uh, Just that's that won't be considered. And they, they, oh God, they made this whole kind of, you know, not in my house kind of a, a rule. Well, that rule backfired in the fact that there was a lot of social media and news backlash against the NFL's decision. Time and time again, though, Donald Trump at his rallies keeps bringing up these players as if, <clears throat> once again, this was about anything other than than just a couple of players trying to point out some social inequities that affect people in their communities. 
Remember, he's made it into their anti-veterans. They're not. Their anti-patriotism. They're not. Uh, their anti-Bible. I, I don't know. Has he thrown that one in there yet? It's probably coming next. What I'm saying is, is that time and time and time again, Donald Trump has went on the attack for the NFL, and it's kind of tarnished their viewership. Now, of course, everybody is sitting around and trying to figure out, well, is it the games? Is it is it the years of bad treatment of players? Uh, the, the public scandals of ignoring, uh, God, head trauma and the long-term effects of it? The, the fact that we have uh, people like Aaron Hernandez that, that, that was a part of a Super Bowl team, you know, the, the New England Patriots, and then ended up killing himself when he was found guilty of, of two homicides. Then, when they later extracted and analyzed his brain, high, high amounts of CTE, and of course the NFL, radio silence on it. But, that's not important. The whole thing that we're really talking about here is that anthem. That's the big thing, right? You see, that's just it. When you're looking at the viewership for the NFL uh, this season, and how it is down over previous seasons, you kind of got to wonder, is this the Trump phenomenon? Is this the people getting tired of the debate about a, a, what should be considered, at the end of the day, nothing more than a sport, right? Ah, yes, just a simple sport that we all used to watch and enjoy and, and sometimes eat copious amounts of food and, and fall asleep during the halftime show. What I'm saying is, is that football, the institution, is now football the political lightning rod. And any time that you turn something from entertainment into, say, a political thing, it doesn't bode well for the people that actually watch it for the entertainment purpose of it. And that's true. When you talk to people that are fans of the NFL, a lot of them don't really want to weigh in on anything one way or the other, either what the president is saying about players being anti-patriotic or Joining me right now from Capitol Hill, a Senate Judiciary Committee member, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Senator, it is good to have you on the program this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Maria. It's great to be with you. First, let's get your reaction to yesterday's proceedings. Uh, Cory Booker said, bring it on. I'm willing to, you know, jeopardize. My standing yeah, in the Senate the because I want losers, truth and I want thugs, these documents released. And then we find out hours later they were already released. Was that just athletes, a stunt, Senator? Well, that's exactly what it was. That that was they're 2020 illiterate. presidential they're politics. Uh, I, I will say the Judicial yeah. Judiciary Committee is fairly amusing because you've got Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. They sit both right next to each other as the two most junior Democrats. And and watching both of them. Uh, battle for the 2020 Democratic nomination is, is, is a daily occurrence, especially during the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, they, they were falling all over each other to now, see who, who could be more theatrical, who could be more outrageous, and, and who could attract the, the attention uh, of the extreme left-wing base that, 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 that they're both courting uh, for the 2020 the presidential election. So how is this going to play out, Senator? I mean, now, you, you've got all of this theatrics. Do you think the people understand? Do you think voters will react to this in November? I mean, people want to see things get done, Senator. Yes. People care about substance. So, so when I'm home in Texas, what I hear from Texans especially is that they're thrilled with the tax cuts. The economic growth we're seeing is incredible. They have more money in their pockets for their families. 
Texans Time are thrilled again. that job-killing regulations have been pulled back. That means the energy sector but is booming, oil and gas. About that, that, that means farmers and ranchers don't make, make, find it, it much easier to make now, ends meet. Uh, Texans are thrilled that we came together and repealed the Obamacare individual mandate. And Texans are thrilled with the judges that have been confirmed with Neil Gorsuch and when we're fixing to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. And, you know, this week we're starting today, day four of the Kavanaugh hearings. This will be the last day. And the Democrats have thrown every punch they got. They haven't managed to to, to lay even a single glove on them. What they have had is is an orchestrated effort with protesters screaming and hollering and disrupting the proceedings. I, I think the first day, not come off 70 people were arrested. It was about every minute it seemed someone jumped up and began hollering. Kind of that, as I understand it, it's been reported, that was directly anyway coordinated kind of with the Democratic senators. I think that's what their extreme left-wing base demands. So, but I don't think that's what the American the people want. The American Donald people Trump want justices on the Supreme Court that who are going to be faithful to the Constitution, who are going to protect the Bill of Rights, protect our free speech, yeah. our religious liberty, our Second Amendment. And I, and I think confirming Brett Kavanaugh continues with that ongoing commitment, and it's a major, major victory for the American people. So you think you'll have the votes to actually confirm him to the Supreme Court then? I, I am confident and that we will have the votes, that Brett Kavanaugh will be confirmed, that Judge Kavanaugh will become Justice Kavanaugh. The timing, the markup is scheduled next week in committee. The The Democrats, under the rules, can delay it for a week. They will do that. Once we vote it out of committee, it'll go to the floor, and and, and I expect that that, that Judge Kavanaugh will be confirmed and sitting on the court uh, by early October. Senator, let me ask you about budget issues, because we are looking at a potential shutdown of the government. The Congress has until October 1 to pass new spending legislation or a stopgap funding bill to keep the government open or risk a shutdown. The President said he will allow the government to shut down if the funding uh, for the border wall is not included. Will you fund the border? Won't you go and do that? Well, that's going to come down to the Democrats. All of these funding bills take the agreement of at least nine Democrats in the Senate. Um, I hope we don't see a shutdown. I do think there's a real chance that that Chuck Schumer and the Democrats will decide a shutdown is in their interest politically. Um, That being said, I think it is critically important to fund a border wall and to do it now. I think there's a better way to get it done than having a shutdown fight. And I've made this case directly to the president. I've made this to my colleagues. We have a number of tools available to us in the Senate that get around filibusters. The most powerful of those tools is what's called budget reconciliation. Now, as you know, Maria, we used budget reconciliation last year to pass the tax cut. What I am urging my colleagues to do is let's take up another budget reconciliation either in September or October. And let's include That's within that, that full funding for the wall. The Democrats will scream or yell. They'll turn their, light their hair on fire, just like they're doing As with Kavanaugh. Payer, but at the end of the they, day, they, they we say, only need oh, 50 well, votes. If we hold our conference together, we can head into Election Day having delivered on, on, on one of the and, central yeah, promises of the last election, which is to finally build the wall and to make real progress in securing our borders. So do you think that will happen? Do you think you will be able to build the wall? The president wants this. He wants the 
money to do so. so You're on yeah, board? That might be some of the way uh, your money goes. I'm absolutely on board with building the wall. I think we that. can. I don't know yeah, if we will take up another budget that reconciliation. That's something that, that is being also actively discussed within the Republican conference. I will say one of the things that has changed that, that, the math somewhat uh, is with John otherwise. Kyle being sworn in as a new senator, it is now easier for us to get 50 because when John McCain was ill and at home, he wasn't here to vote. So it made the math much tighter. Even one senator jumping ship could take it down. Now with John Kyle as an active serving senator, we can lose one Republican. That gives us more margin for error. And I think the case to take up budget reconciliation, what I'd like to see us do, is build the wall, but also on Obamacare, end the employer mandate, expand health savings accounts, let people use health savings accounts to pay for premiums, which would lower the premiums for many people 20 to 30 percent, and, and also codify some of the big regulatory reforms that have been done to lower premiums, things like association health plans and short-term limited duration plans, put those into law, and then finally, Maria, I think what would have a really big impact and legacy I think we should take up and pass what's called That's the RAINS Act. It. The RAINS when Act says any economic regulation that has $100 million really or more of impact cannot go into effect without now, an affirmative up-down vote from Congress. It would be, in terms of legacy, it would be as big as the tax world. cut. Who and is and I believe we can hold 50 Republicans and get it done government. if we're simply oh, willing to take it oh, up. The House has passed it twice. The Democrats always filibuster it. If we use reconciliation, that's a way to get around the Democratic filibuster. As we wrap up here, real quick, give us your expectation for the midterm, Senator. There's some expectation that the Senate Gain seats. I know the president is going to be campaigning really for you, but the, the detractors are out there. They're going to put his meanest tweets, his meanest oh, yeah. comments yes, to you up on billboards to try to get that wedge back between the two of you. Are you together? Are you aligned? Or are you minute, fighting if, if still? The, is all uh, the president the and I have been working very closely ever since the election in 2016. We've been working hand in hand. And many of the victories that we've had, whether the tax cut or repealing the individual mandate or moving our embassy to Jerusalem or pulling out of the Obama-Iran deal are victories that I work very, very closely with the president on. My office talks with the White House every week, sometimes every day. That's terrific. So you think you'll gain seats in the midterm, Senator? What's your take on the midterm? You know, I think it's volatile. I think the extreme left is angry and energized. I think we're going to see massive Democratic turnout in November. Now, the good news is most of the states that are up in November, including my home state of Texas, there are a lot more conservatives than there are liberals. System. The question that is, do they turn out? The, the, this election comes out entirely to turn like, out. Be the danger be is complacency. The danger is too many, too many conservatives stay home. Because if that happens, we could lose both houses of Congress. It could be really ugly. On the other visit, hand, if conservatives are motivated and show it, up and vote, out of we, could, we could hold the House okay. and grow our Senate majority so, up to 55, 56. Plan, That's part of why, Maria, I'm pushing so hard for us to use budget payer. reconciliation to actually pass funding thinking, for the wall yeah, Shaggy, now, because that'll turn people out and win the election. Good for you. You've got a good story to tell, Senator. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Here in the United States, a military that is 40 times larger than its next closest competitor. That's how much we spend on military spending here. That's how much it takes to keep the United States on top 40 times in military spending what the number two spender on military spends per capita. Now, 
They raise all of that money through taxes. I know. Kind of seems obvious, right? But here's the thing. I'm not even mentioning cutting military spending. I'm just saying that the government, if they want to pay for something, the government doesn't pay for it. We do. Every single one of us, in some small way, accumulates part of our government's operating debt. So whenever they talk about the national debt, that is actually something me and you owe, not the government, because the government is basically representatives of us and they're spending. All right, according Democrats to made waves yesterday, as you heard, with Senator Cory Booker suggesting now, he's willing course, to be kicked out of the Senate over his move to money. release confidential they're documents bold relating bold. to Supreme Court nominees. That is Older demographics. That is Any senator, officer, or employee of the Senate who shall disclose the secret or confidential business or proceedings of the Senate, including the business and proceedings of the committees. Taxes. Subcommittees so and offices of the Senate I know this shall be, be liable kind of a harsh if a senator here, but to suffer expulsion from the body money, and if an officer or employee to dismissal from the service the of the Senate and to punishment for contempt. So I would, bring up, I would uh, the correct picture. the senator's statement. There is it's no rule. There is clearly a rule that applies. And apply the rule and bring the charges. Mr. Chairman, all of us. Around the time all that was going on, Senator Maisie Hirono tweeted now, screenshots said, of documents saying they contain the information money. Republicans don't want Americans to see. And the Hawaii Democrat joins us Medicaid now. Senator, it's good to see you again morning. this morning. <laughs> uh, Senator Spartacus, uh, are you? Was that your Spartacus moment, Senator? No, I, I just uh, went about uh, using the document that was really relevant to the questions that I had regarding Judge Kavanaugh's attitude to Native Hawaiians, and so I just used it. We, we, we learned later that the documents that Cory Booker was explaining uh, were confidential and that he was just going to put his hide on the line to release. Good, right? Actually, it had been cleared the night before, and he was free to distribute them at that hearing. Had your documents been cleared before you posted them to Twitter? No. No, I didn't. You see, I didn't ask those for schedules uh, that we my documents during, before, during, or after. I used easy. it. So, do you feel like you <laughs> do you feel like you either Sometimes broke a, a, set, a rule in the Senate, like a rule of that committee, no or well, were you on so good standing to post those? I question the legitimacy of the designation of confidentiality. And I said after I used the document, and I said I defy anybody to to conclude that this document should even be. Confidential. By the way, the, the entire process Shaggy, of deeming thousands and thousands of documents confidential was made by this guy named Bill Burke. Who the hell is he? You know, he is a confidant of Kavanaugh, and he represents Judge Kodinsky. So I think the whole process was not even legitimate, and so I proceeded to use my document without asking for clearance. Well, don't you think, Senator, though, respectfully, that as long as the rules are in place, they ought to be followed and that there's a process if you wanted to go through the same way Cory Booker got his documents cleared before he posted them that you should have done the same? There was a process for designating these documents committee confidential and that process was not followed uh, at all. So we all acknowledge that, but you know, they're, they're just trying to 
to, as I say in Hawaii, cover their okolis at this point. But, but do you think, Senator, that it's a dangerous precedent to violate that rule just on your own, to go out and say, you know what, I'm not going to recognize the confidentiality. What if it happens next time to, to you and to Democrats? It was a dangerous precedent to allow thousands of documents like to be Medicaid hidden from the Medicare, American public then, using a process well, that is not legitimate. If we could have come together yeah, as had been done in the past, then it would have been okay. But that's not what happened at all. You know, so, you know, okay. they, they uh, if they now, want to expel me because I haven't in, followed the so-called no rule, then they should no do Medicare, that. But they're trying very very hard now to, after the fact, say that my document has been cleared. You know what? There's Something only like one person who would have asked that very specific document relating to Judge Kavanaugh's attitude about Native Hawaiians, and that person would now, have been me, that an and I certainly did not ask for clearance before, during, or after. David Ignatius is Ask me another question. All right, David Ignatius. Sandra, I wanted to ask you whether you think Judge Kavanaugh's basic credibility has been wounded by information that's come out in some of these documents. It seems that in past hearings he denied that he'd been involved in, in the confirmation of Judge Pryor, ER for example. And and there are documents that show he was involved. Uh, he denied he was involved in the, in other words, the case of somebody named uh, Manuel Miranda, and the documents show that he was involved. Is, is that really hurting his, his credibility, do you think? Never going to pay them back. As far as I'm concerned, there are all these so the questions as to uh, how, uh, how forthcoming he was payment, in his prior testimony in 2006. What I'm focused on, because I wasn't here then, I'm focused on his dissents would show a pattern that, that he is very ER much against women's reproductive rights and cases. He definitely has a pattern, kind of a and I think it was a blinking red light. It doesn't matter to me that he never had a discussion uh, now about the Mueller investigation, but it was a blinking see, red light when he wrote that a sitting president should not be subject to either criminal or civil proceedings. That is a huge red light to this president who is all about protecting himself. From insurance All right. Just one quick question. Oh, sure. sure. Senator, you can't see it, but we have a split screen up here with Cory Booker and Douglas. Do you see likenesses between the two? They go back and say, hey, without insurance. Oh, let's not go there. Exactly. Senator Maisie Hirono, thank you very much for being on this morning. Appreciate it. And still ahead on Morning Joe, we showed you that moment from Wednesday's hearing where Brett Kavanaugh struggled to answer whether he'd discuss Bob Mueller or the Russia probe with someone from a law firm linked to President Trump. Kavanaugh was asked. About that system. again yesterday, and it took a long you time to, to get an answer. The that is next on Morning Joe. Thanks for checking out you MSNBC on YouTube, and make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on the day's biggest stories. And you can click on any of the videos around us to watch more for Morning Joe and MSNBC. Thanks so much for watching. That the government has to pay in the medical system to keep it going. Yes, we cost our government more by not having socialized health care or a single-payer plan. But the thing is, is that Republicans know that once people catch on to what a single-payer is, they're going to think that the Republicans are crazy for never embracing it, and they would be right. They would be right. But will it happen? Probably not, because the Republicans are now starting to drum up this old scare tactic behind what is single-payer and how much it costs people. But at the end of the day, you can't let them win.
Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll cover some more stories of the day. And remember, check out the website at shaggyjenkins.com or follow me at, at Shaggy Live. Until the next show, love you, mean it. Get in, bye.